19 in the Old Testament, that is in the first half of the Pew Bible, 1 Chronicles 29, and we're going to be starting today uh, in verse 9. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, of course, is coming this coming Sunday. And it's a very unique thing that uh, we celebrate it. It's unique in all the world. And it says something about us as a nation. It says a lot about our roots. What is Thanksgiving all about? Well, of course, it's a time when we look all around us and uh, we thank the Lord for what He's given to us. It's when we remember that, that an attitude of gratitude is at the heart of being spiritually healthy. And really, it's in a lot of ways at the heart of being physically healthy. Gratitude is something that's good for you physically. They've actually done research into it. And so for our own sake, as well as for His glory, Thanksgiving is a time when we remember how God has just like, you know, multiplied so many blessings to us. You can hardly count the ways, like David said. If we just look around us, from the air we breathe to the food we eat to the pleasures that we enjoy... uh, uh, to whatever. Henry Van Dyke said, there are a hundred, I really like this, there are a hundred touches of kindness that come to us every day to tell us that we are not orphans or outcasts upon the earth. Every gleam of beauty, every provision of bounty in the natural world is an evidence that we are in God's house and that God is good which is why we call it the good earth. There are so many good things in this Father's house that we call the good earth. He, he multiplies so many blessings to us, just like your mom does. In a lot of ways, it's like your mom, just like she does for you or all that she used to do for you, for me, if you're older. Not only all through the year, but through the Thanksgiving season. It's like the little boy who said, in Sunday school, we learned how Jesus made a thousand meals from some bread and fish. My mom can do the same thing with Thanksgiving leftovers. (laughs) Thanksgiving. It's about having the godly gratitude, we're going to see today, of a true American. But it's also about having the otherworldly attitude of a true pilgrim. It's about having this godly gratitude of a true American but also about having kind of an otherworldly attitude of a true pilgrim. Thanksgiving is a uniquely American celebration, as I've said. It became a national holiday on November 27, 1789, when George Washington set that day apart as a day for the newly formed republic to give thanks. They were already celebrating various days of Thanksgiving just spontaneously at different, in different parts of the republic across the nation. It's truly an American celebration. On October 3rd, 1863, Abraham Lincoln publicly reaffirmed the call for people, as he put it, in every part of the United States to observe the last Thursday of November as the day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent, our beneficent Father. And uh, presidents ever since have issued a yearly proclamation that sets aside a day in November, the last day in November, as a holiday for all Americans, as President Bush said in 2005, for all Americans to give thanks for the freedoms and many blessings we enjoy, to give thanks to God. Yes, Thanksgiving is about having the godly gratitude of a true American, but it's also about having an otherworldly attitude 
as a true pilgrim, which is what even godly Americans tend to forget. And yet, yet equally, it's a real part of our roots. It's a day when we're supposed to remember not just all that we have, but all that we will have. When we kiss gratefully all that we have, yes, but then we go on to remember to grasp not what's now, but what's coming. That's what pilgrims do. And so not coincidentally, Thanksgiving is a time when we remember the pilgrims, don't we? That's where it all started. That we're but pilgrims passing through, seeking a better country, as the writer of the Hebrews said. A heavenly country. All our eggs are not in the basket of America, because ultimately we're citizens of heaven. And Thanksgiving is equally about that. These days more than ever, we need the godly gratitude of a true American that kisses his gifts gratefully, but the otherworldly attitude of a true pilgrim that clings to him alone in all the storms of life as things pass away. That's what First Chronicles 29 is all about. And as I was praying about what I should focus on this, sun, this the Sunday before Thanksgiving, what came to mind was a, was a Thanksgiving service that David did. That's a very real part of our roots as Americans. Uh, he, the Thanksgiving service that David did after God had bountifully supplied what they needed for the building of the temple. He supplied through the people. They were really generous. And uh, at the end of the service, he offered up a prayer where he summed up what Thanksgiving is all about. It says in First Chronicles 29, starting in verse 9, it says, Then the people rejoiced. And then moving down to the end of the verse, And King David also rejoiced greatly. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. You might want to close your eyes and pray this silently uh, as I read it out loud as our Thanksgiving prayer this year. Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, and I love this part, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and on the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. Thank you, Lord. And then here's the verse that under and through it all, Thanksgiving is all about. It's the next verse, First Chronicles 29, 15. For we are sojourners before you. Another word for sojourner is pilgrim. For we are pilgrims before you and tenants. Tenants are those who don't own anything. They're just renters. For we are pilgrims before you, O Lord, and renters, as all our fathers were. And all our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. Huh. There is no hope? I think someone just rained on this party. Where did that come from? 
We are pilgrims before for you and renters, and there is no hope. That's the heart of this Thanksgiving prayer. Several other translations read, there is no abiding. That is, good as all these things are, it's all passing away. That is the attitude of a true pilgrim. Where we kiss his gifts gratefully, but we don't grasp them. No, we cling to him alone. In David's thanksgiving prayer, he's saying this, even as we thank you for all you've given us on this good earth and for this temple that we're building, we remember that we're not going to take any of it with us because there is no abiding on this earth, good though it is. And so while we kiss your gifts, we don't grasp them. He was saying, even as we build your temple with all of these gifts, we're not investing our heart of hearts here. Where have you invested your heart of hearts? Is it in this country? Great though it may have been. Just as we ought to be saying, we've sought to rebuild our nation, to return America to its roots, but we're certainly not investing our heart of hearts here. Because we have deeper roots. In our deepest hearts, we are pilgrims who let it all go. Are you prepared to let it all go? Should he call you to? Thanksgiving. It's about having the godly gratitude of a true American, which is one thing that makes us unique, but it's also about having the otherworldly attitude of a true pilgrim. Isn't it interesting that on Thanksgiving Day, way back in the Old Testament, David focused on pilgrims who let it all go, who know that there's no abiding. Just as in America, we focus on pilgrims on our Thanksgiving Day. Because that's our history and those are our roots. But I think just as we've forgotten the true meaning of Christmas, perhaps sometimes we forget the true meaning of Thanksgiving. That we are just pilgrims passing through who kiss His gifts gratefully and yet don't grasp them for dear life. That we're just pilgrims passing through who can let it all go, who can forsake their creature comforts, just like they did, if God calls us to. And so who are so very grateful for whatever good things He sends our way. It's kind of truth intention, which it characterizes the whole of the Christian faith. Creature comforts are being taken away these days, the whole world over. There are riots in the streets by those who have all their eggs in an earthly basket. And it could easily come to America. We don't know. But true pilgrims will not be in those crowds. Did you know that the Wall Street Journal gets it right every year, the true meaning of Thanksgiving? None other than the Wall Street Journal has reprinted the same article every Thanksgiving day for, uh, for more than four decades now along with the picture that you see up there on the screens. It's an account of what the pilgrims endured. It's a true account of what it means to be a true pilgrim. 
of what happened in 1620 when they left Holland and sailed to America. You know, we tend to view all that history through kind of rose-colored lenses, uh, just like we have rose-colored expectations of the Christian life. We confuse the hope of the gospel with the American dream. Rather than having the expectation of real pilgrims who know that there is no abiding, that it can all be taken from us in a moment, and so who strike this pilgrim posture through it all of letting it all go, holding it with open hands, kissing his gifts, not grasping them. Every year they publish an excerpt from Nathaniel Morton's 1669 book about what happened in 1620. It goes like this. Bear with the old-fashioned language. It's a... I think it's very evocative. Here begins the chronicle. And it's not all that long, so don't worry, I won't be reading for a long time. But here begins the chronicle of those memorable circumstances of the year 1620, as recorded by Nathaniel Morton, keeper of the records of Plymouth Colony, based on the account of William Bradford, sometime governor thereof. So they left that goodly and pleasant city of Leyden, which was in the city of Holland which had been their resting place for above eleven years. But they knew that they were pilgrims and strangers here below and looked not much on these things. Are you looking much on all these things here below? They looked not much on these things, but lifted their eyes to heaven, their dearest country. What is your dearest country? where God hath prepared for them a city, Hebrews 11, uh, 11, 16, and therein, in that city, they quieted their spirits. Do you have a place where you quiet your spirit? When they came to Delft's Haven, which was the harbor, they found the ship and all things ready, and such of their friends as could not come with them followed after them. And many came from Amsterdam to see them shipped and uh, to say farewell. One night was spent with little sleep with the most, but with friendly entertainment and Christian discourse and, the, and other real expressions of true Christian love. The next day they went on board, and their friends with them were truly sorrowful was the sight of that sad and mournful parting, to hear what sighs and sobs and prayers did sound amongst them, what tears did gush from every eye, and pithy speeches pierced each other's heart, that many of the Dutch strangers stood on the dock as spectators could not refrain from crying themselves. But the tide, which stays for no man, called them away, who were thus so reluctant to depart. And as they did their reverend pastor, falling down on his knees, and they all with him, with watery cheeks, commended them with the most fervent prayers unto the Lord and his blessing. And then with mutual embraces and many tears, they took their leaves, one of another, which proved to be the last leave to many of them. Having passed the vast ocean and a sea of trouble before them in expectations, they had now no friends to welcome them, no inns to entertain or refresh them, no houses or much less towns to repair unto to seek for comfort. And for the season it was winter, and they know the winters of the country that, uh, uh, to be sharp and violent. They landed at Cape Cod. <laughs> Subject to cruel and fierce storms, dangerous to travel to known places, much less to search unknown coasts. 
And then the last paragraph, besides, what could they see but a hideous and desolate wilderness, full of wild beasts and wild men? And what multitudes of them there were, then they knew not, for whichsoever, wheresoever they turned their eyes, save upward to heaven. Wheresoever they turned their eyes, save upward to heaven, which says it all. Wheresoever they turned their eyes, saved upward to heaven, they could have but little solace or content with respect to any earthly object. For summer being ended, all things stand in appearance with a weather-beaten face, and the whole country, full of woods and thickets, represented a wild and savage color. And they looked behind them. If they looked behind them, there was a mighty ocean which they had passed, now a gulf separating them from all the civil parts of the world. And then it says, These editorials have appeared annually in the Wall Street Journal since 1961. There's a whole lot in there. And we can't unpack it all, but truly, there is no abiding. And we don't know what he's going to call us into. There is no abiding. And my fear is that in looking back to our roots on days like Thanksgiving, we are holding on to what we were as a nation as though our lives depended on it. And we've got to get back to that. And we're fighting like cornered animals which is not the pilgrim spirit. To become that nation again, when the very history of our declining nation should teach us, as David tells us, that there is no abiding. And so, like the pilgrims, while we must fight for the good of our country and work as good citizens for the betterment of society and for the sake of future generations so that they'll look back and thank us just like we look back and thank our forefathers. Yeah, we need to do that. But while we do that, we dare not put our eggs in the basket of anything earthly as true pilgrims. It's like the great essayist Wilfred McClay wrote. Listen. He said, Even as we give thanks for our nation this Thanksgiving, the example of the pilgrims reminds us that this beautiful place is not our home. That we were not made for it or for any other earthly nation but for God alone. The pilgrims remind us that even this great nation, like all things here below, is imperfect and will perish someday. That even as we make our homes, plant our gardens, stock our kitchens, and raise our families here, there will come a time when those families are no more. When even the least trace of our yet unborn children and grandchildren will have vanished. Our houses will be torn down, and every token of the earth's grace and beauty will have decayed into dust and been scattered in the air. We must remember that this city on a hill is, like every earthly city, not a city for us to abide in. 
Because this side of glory, just like David said, there is no abiding. There is no abiding. And equally, Thanksgiving is a day when we remember this. It's about having the godly gratitude of a true American Christian. And equally, it's about having the otherworldly attitude of a true pilgrim. Truth in tension. McClay concludes his essay this way. He says, We are fortunate to be citizens of a nation founded in part by pilgrims. We were founded by pilgrims who knew there is no sure foundation here below. We were founded by those who had no sure foundation here below. He says this is a paradox, which in some sense captures the essence of thanksgiving. And that is this. Long may our nation prosper, and may we always have hearts capable of gratitude for what we've been given but may we also always be pilgrims who seek God's kingdom first. In this age of unrest, when more than ever we are seeing that there is no abiding, in this age of unrest, what are you seeking first? That's a thanksgiving question. Where have you invested your heart of hearts? Are you grasping His gifts for dear life as you settle in, you know, more an American than a citizen of heaven? Or are you holding them with open hands as you pass through as a true pilgrim, kissing your gifts, His gifts gratefully, but not grasping them? Which are you? Well, of course, all of us are a bit of both. So let's go for the one more than the other. question is this, is, as I close, how do you become, let's, let's get the rubber on the road, how do you become more of a true pilgrim? Isn't that the question? Well, let me give several ideas. One, the first way, maybe even the most important way that you become more of a true pilgrim is, as Paul says, to be generous and ready to share. Be generous and ready to share rather than a Scrooge. Don't hang on. Let it go. The best way to disarm the power of the possessions that can so weigh us down and anchor us below rather than having wings to go above, the best way to disarm the power of our possessions is to give them away. That's what Luther said. Give them away, as God calls you to, generously, sacrificially, as the Scripture calls us to, and you'll become more of a true pilgrim. How do you become a true pilgrim? Two. Number two. A close second is this. Don't complain. Don't complain. We've got nothing to complain about. The more you complain the more you focus on what you don't have and the more you'll cling to what you do have for dear life. Don't complain. How do you become a true pilgrim? Three, get to know God. 
Get to know Him better. Get to know the Giver Himself, the source of all of that and so much more. Do that. Get to know Him. And He'll become better than all of His gifts combined. It's a no-brainer. As good as all this is, He is infinitely better. Get to know God and you'll say, you're too good to be true. I can't take my eyes off of you. Read His Word every day. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you. And like the psalmist, more and more you'll say, Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth compared to you. That's, that's what true pilgrims say. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. How do you become a true pilgrim? For trust and obey. Trust and obey. Do whatever he calls you to, just like the pilgrims did. When they left England for Holland, and then 11 years went all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. Trust and obey. Whatever he may be calling you to do, to let go of right now, and maybe he's been doing that in your life this Thanksgiving season. Whatever it is that you sense he's calling you to let go of, pray about it, seek counsel about it, but in the end, just do it. Take the step of faith. Trust and obey. They didn't have to cross the Atlantic Ocean, but they chose to because God called them to. So the question is, what's he calling you to do? How do you become a true pilgrim? Five. When it's not your choice, that is, whether you let it go or not, when he just takes it from you, which he does, right? When he does that, let go and let God. Let go and let God. Ultimately, (laughs) we are so earthbound that he's the one who's got to detach us. And detach us, he does. So that we can become truer pilgrims. That's his agenda behind this economic crisis. That's his agenda. It's his severe mercy when you lose your house or when you lose your job or when you lose whatever. And when that happens, it's a process, but you must work on letting go and letting God have his way. Rather than growing angry or bitter or jealous of those who uh, he didn't force to do that, uh, of others whose lives seem to be easier. Someone said the chief pang of most suffering is not the suffering itself, but our spirit of resistance to it. Let go and let God. Five, just two more. Seven's a spiritual number, so I'm going to stop with that. How do you become a true pilgrim? Six, learn about heaven, and you'll be more rooted there. Duh, (laughs) right? Learn about heaven, and you'll be more rooted there. Read the last two chapters in Revelation. Review the sermons, the whole summer series on heaven. Read Randy Alcorn's book titled Just Heaven, a classic on the subject. Learn more about heaven and you'll be more rooted there as a true pilgrim. How do you become a true pilgrim? Seven. This might sound funny, but it's 
really important. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. This brings us back to 1 Chronicles 29, in fact, as we cycle back to where we began. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Read it again and again. It'll convince you that it's all passing away. You might even get a little depressed reading it, and that's good because you're being detached, and that's hard. And it will really help you reorient your priorities. So important is all this that we've been talking about today that God devotes an entire book of Scripture to it. The book of Ecclesiastes was written fundamentally to turn us into pilgrims. In fact, that book, in that book, Solomon unpacks what his father David meant in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Our passage for today. Ecclesiastes unpacks and explains what David meant when he prayed, We are sojourners before you and tenants, as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. There's much more, but I do need to close. David prayed this prayer. It, uh, it was near the end of his life when he prayed it. And he had gotten to the place in his journey that he was actually thanking God for this. It takes us a while to get there, but he was really doing it. That we are sojourners before you in tenants, as all our fathers were, and our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. He wasn't complaining here. He was thanking God which is why he put it at the very heart of this great Thanksgiving Day prayer. Just as these days more than ever, it needs to be in our own heart of hearts. The godly gratitude of a true American Christian and the otherworldly attitude of a true pilgrim. A true pilgrim who knows that through it all, the best is yet to come. Father, we do want to thank you for the hope that we have that, as the writer of the Hebrews said, that uh, can serve as an anchor for our souls, both sure and steadfast. And Father, in this age of unrest, when there's uh, so much that seems to be up in the air, I pray that we as a congregation would be increasingly ever more deeply anchored in our hope so that more and more we can be great hearts who patrol the roads out of a position of centeredness, a position of strength in you, a position of uh, resting in what we know is coming. And, uh, Father, I do pray that, uh, as never before, we would see all that happens as an opportunity this year to go passionately. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, the first thing is to give generously. And that's exactly what we do, of course, on this fourth Sunday of the month for our benevolence offering. So, Rich Bender, could you come up? This is a perfect way of applying the most important of the seven applications, give generously, at a time when we have so many people who are so uh, needy. Rich. Thank you, Brian. Uh, This fall here at Dillon Community Church, we have just finished 40 days of community which was an exercise of looking at the Bible, looking at Scripture. How do we go out as a church, not just here on Sundays, here with our various ministries we have within the congregation during the week, whether it's women's Bible study, the men's iron hour, and taking a look at how we do go out into the community and affect what we have an opportunity to affect 
in Summit County and the world. It has to do basically with looking at our overall vision, going passionately out of our growing intimacy with God, a caring community for the county and the world, sharing Christ in word and deed. So the church family has been challenged this fall to look out into the community and find ways to serve. How do we do that? Scripture reminds us in hundreds of ways of serving and giving to those in need. And this is imperative to what God tells us in Scripture. We have learned six, six practical reasons for giving to those in need. John 3.16, giving makes us more like Jesus. Matthew 6.21, giving draws us closer to God. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, giving is the antidote to materialism. Malachi 3.10, giving strengthens my faith. 1 Timothy 6, 18 to 19, giving is an investment for eternity. And Acts 20.35, giving blesses us in return. Just so you're aware, the benevolence ministry here at the church is funded only by the offering that we take the third Sunday of each month. Whatever funds are given are allowed us to serve those who come to us. Some come to us from the congregation. Many come from around the county. And what an opportunity for us as a center for Christ to serve those that come to, come to us and ask us to help them. If we have the funds, we can help them. In a lot of cases, the Benevolence Committee will meet with individuals, help them work on a budget, they may refer them to Colorado Workforce. Then people may be in need or individuals may be in need of transitional medical care. We will find agencies in the county that will help with that. So it's not just funding money for whatever they need. We're trying to help their lives and let them know that God cares and Dillon Community Church cares. So we just ask that funds are short right now due to all of the needs. And as all of us from the county, whether you're here part-time or full-time, some jobs haven't kicked in at the resorts yet. Some people are unemployed due to that. The economy is a struggle. Others come to us in need of food. Others come to us just wanting a home for somebody to listen. So if you would, just be generous. Pray for this ministry. And we promise that your funds that you contribute will be used very generously as needed. But also we will meet with individuals to determine, are their needs real? How else can they be helped? And we just thank you for all your prayers you've given in the past and all the contributions that you've made. Thank you. Do you think the water knows? Slow down.